Hello and welcome to the Green Shoots podcast, a conversation about intellectual property focused on what matters most to innovators right now. We discuss managing, monetizing, and protecting IP in the context of what's happening in industry, IP law, and beyond. I'm your host, Charlie Leslie, and I'm part of the IP team here at Apple Yard Lees. We're happy to welcome back to the podcast Apple Yard Lees partners and patent attorneys, Julia Gwilt and Bobby Smithson. Julia is a software specialist and oversees the patent portfolios of a wide variety of clients, including startups, research organisations and multinationals. Bobby is a chemist who works closely with in-house patent departments of large UK and US companies. Julia and Bobby, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. Hi, yeah. Good to be back. Yeah, thanks, Charlie. It's good to be back and to follow up on our conversation that we had last time. We've talked about what we were expecting from virtual EPO oral proceedings in our previous episode of the podcast, that's episode two. Now we've participated in virtual proceedings, was it what you expected? Yeah, thanks, Charlie. I mean, as we said in the last one, actually, um, uh, proceedings by video conference had been happening by examination for a while, but but it's really these opposition proceedings that are that are brand new, um, and the EPO uh, started their pilot program, and uh, we had the, the the first. Or I had the first hearing last week. Uh, <clears throat> I had lots of concerns, which I mentioned in the last in the last podcast, actually, um, and some of them were, I think, reasonable and borne out. But there were some pros that I hadn't expected either. Um, I think. It was quite interesting, just even starting up, because the, the 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 first introduction from the chairman of the opposition division in the case I had last week uh, indicated it was the first time that he'd had a, a proceedings by uh, video conference, and similarly, the first examiner and the rapporteur it was also their first proceedings, and the first proceedings for the uh, representative of the patentee. Uh, I was representing the opponent, so it was a it was really a learning curve for 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 all of us. Um, but it, it it went quite well um, with you know <laughs> some uh, uh, some reservations, but but generally probably better than I thought. So Bobby, one of the key things when we're at the oral proceedings is working out how to communicate separately from the different parties. And I know with the examination oral proceedings, the examiners have had to think how to have a communication channel between themselves because they're no longer in the same room. So how did you go about it? Um, I think you went with another attorney. How did you set up a communication channel amongst yourselves, both for the more tense moments during the actual hearing and then perhaps for the breaks afterwards? Yeah, no, that that was one of the the challenges, and uh, I did go with uh, another attorney, or go with is a is a funny way to put it. Another attorney attended from from their home, uh, plus a client as a technical expert attending from his home. Uh, I also had one of my trainees attending as a member of the public, so there was quite a few of us kind of listening in and 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 watching. We set up um, a, a sort of group text chat between the three of us, just using our mobile telephones. And so we could just pass little messages during the hearings in, in the way that you normally would during a, during a hearing. But then, yeah, in the uh, in the adjournments, it was it was a bit more difficult because we were advised or instructed to leave the Skype channel open and just turn the video and microphone off. So it was difficult to then sort of have a separate video chat with the with the other people that were attending on our behalf. So it was a case of having a bit of a ring round and and uh, <laughs> talking to them separately. But it, it worked okay, but that was one of the drawbacks, especially when you have a number of people. If there's just, you know, two of you, then it's easy to pick up the phone during the adjournments. But when there's three or perhaps more, then it was a bit more difficult, for sure. 
Um, but the the opposition division, as you've said, they they had a separate video channel. I, I don't know how they how you know what, what what mechanism or what programs they were using to do that, but they very much had a their own separate sort of channel to talk to each other on during the the uh, adjournments. Um, and you know, as as these things move to to be more regular, I guess we would we would look at ways to 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 implement that ourselves rather than sort of defaulting on the mobile telephone type technology, perhaps. So, Bobby, now that you've had a week to sort of reflect, is there anything you think technically that could have helped and improved that process? Or yeah, I mean, maybe I think maybe having a, a like you say another another meeting going on a, a video meeting, but I think there'll be a reasonable amount of training perhaps involved there, not just for us, but then of course you're having to train the, the client how to have meetings going on at the same time, presumably from the same laptop, one of them being paused and another one being started. But uh, you know, obviously it's it's eminently doable. And I think for the next one, that's probably something we would look at. You know, it's worth saying that one of the big advantages of this procedure by video conference, I mean, notwithstanding the fact that you get to do it from your own office with your familiar and familiar surroundings and the lack of travel is, you know, there's a, there is just a much better opportunity for clients to attend either as technical experts or as members of the public. And, you know, the client who attended with me this time would normally have attended in person, but, you know, in, in instances where clients are further afield, that, that would be a, a massive improvement on on having to sort of ship people all over the world just to just to sit and, and, and listen for a while and give perhaps some commercial input during the uh, intervals. Uh, well, I agree with you because with, with all the in-person ones I did, um, it was only possible for the clients to attend a handful of really important cases where there was some cross-litigation going on or some other reason that it was more important than, than the rest. And I, I, as you say, they can provide very valuable feedback during the process, but it also, I think, helps them understand because it is a slightly peculiar process when you're an outsider looking in, I think, because it's all very civil amongst the parties, uh, um, both outside the rooms and inside the room. And I think it comes as a surprise to some people how quickly the decisions are, are made on the day and how that there's this discussion and then the examiners, you know, they, they meet amongst themselves and, and, and very rapidly, sometimes within a few minutes, come to a decision on a particular point. And it's very helpful for clients to be there to understand the process, I think, as well, isn't it? So I agree that it's great that we can facilitate potentially more clients attending. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the cons that we perhaps raised in our earlier podcast about the ability to read the room I, I think there is something in that you know you're you're looking at sort of five small pictures of of people on your screen rather than faced with people and and you know given this current circumstances uh society's facing we all know how that feels at the moment anyway and you know that there is a perhaps a, a bit of a difficulty there and and I think it made the the hearing a bit more mechanical perhaps sort of very formulaic but i generally think that the opposition hearings have gone down that route quite a lot over the last three or four years anyway either it's less sort of chipping in and very much more you know give me your statement for however long that takes and then the chairman will ask the other side for theirs and then a rebuttal and a rebuttal and and now they'll they'll adjourn and so that kind of formulaic procedure it certainly helped with the video conferencing, and I, and I certainly felt that that I, you know I'd had the opportunity to be amply to be amply heard. The primary examiner was was asking questions as well as the chairman of the opposition division, which obviously also happens in the hearings in person. It was very much reflective of a hearing in person, and 
everyone was as engaged as they would have been otherwise. And as I say, I think everyone had a, an ample opportunity for their arguments and, and, and things to be heard. There were some quite peculiar procedural points that it's worth noting just as a, from a practice point of view. They're not sort of interesting from a, a holistic point of view as to the, the, the fun of, or the, the success of the proceedings at, in general, but there are some procedural points which we which did make things a little bit more clunky. So before the hearing could actually begin, the rapporteur sent an email to the parties involved and you couldn't actually proceed until you confirmed you'd received that email. Now, in and of itself, that sounds straightforward, except that they'd spelt my email address wrong and uh, sort of said, I've sent it three times and you've not received it. And, and so, you know, after sort of five minutes or so of, of, of being in that situation that was starting to get frustrating but that actually brought out one of the big benefits of the procedure which is that we had a the live chat function alongside the um the video call so i was able to type in my email address and say are you are you sending it to the right address here is my email address and then you know sort of a, a light bulb moment for the rapporteur when uh, there was a realization that one of the words had been spelled incorrectly and that would have been difficult without that function and that, that chat box function actually was useful later on in the proceedings we, you know when we were quoting some board of appeal case law uh, we were able to to type it in there so there were no errors in transcription. So that was very good, I thought. Yeah, that does sound like an improvement because I think we've all sat, even when, when you were in the face-to-face -face hearings and you're relying on a particular passage from the, the patent specification or the prior art or, or piece of case law, as you say, it can take what feels like several minutes to make sure that everybody's on the same page sometimes, doesn't it? And flicking through documents. And I think having that written down sometimes might facilitate getting to the right spot or, or getting the right document open. Yeah, it can certainly sort of ruin the flow of, of the, the hearing and the procedure, can't it? Because you're sort of, you're then pausing and waiting and just sort of trying to keep, you know, everything in your head that you're about to say and, and keep it fresh. But it, it invariably does become a little bit stuttered in that fashion. There, there was another procedural aspect, which, which actually was <laughs> in some ways worse than that. And that was the, the submission of new requests during the hearing. And I was, I was the opponent in this particular hearing. So I, my requests were, were verbal rather than, than sort of written requests, but the patentee uh, at a couple of instances wanted to file new requests and the formalities for doing that were quite um, different. Obviously, they had to be submitted in PDF and signed either physically and, and scanned or virtually. But it was almost slightly worse than that because they had to be then emailed to the rapporteur who would then receive them and then email them to all the other parties. I think that was explained as a data protection issue. But you can imagine when you're sat waiting for this and you're just sat thinking, well, there's another request coming here at some point. That said, Finding a photocopy that works at the EPO in Munich can be a can be a challenge as well. So it's it's you know it's it's perhaps one problem swapped for another, but it was definitely again a little bit disjointed. But we got there, so that was yeah that was probably the the, the two biggest procedural differences and difficulties I would say. Yes, I guess um, particularly if you're at home rather than you go into the office. Um, I know when we do oral proceedings and examination proceedings, they they want you to sign the pieces of paper as you would do in the real hearing, or at least on the front page. And of course, that's much easier if you've got access to a printer. You scan it off, and you you sign it, and then you scan it and send it back in by email or by fax, depending on how the examiner wants it. So I can imagine if if you were at home, it might be difficult to do that. Although. I think it's just another one of these technical things that we need to look into introducing e-signatures more readily. I mean, we do it on a routine basis for filing online at the EPO. I, I'm sure there's further improvements to, 
to make that a bit smoother. And 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 certainly in examination oral proceedings, we haven't had the issue that you said at the start, where we all had to email in to make sure that they everyone was connected and 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 had, had shared email addresses. Is that just an artifact of the opposition proceedings, or do you think that's something new that they're rolling out generally? I think it might just be part of the pilot procedure. I think that it, the the email that they were trying to send everybody was the personal email addresses of each of the members of the opposition division and the mobile telephone of the chairman of the opposition division. So I think it was just to allow you to be able to report technical faults if you would if you dropped off. There was a comment that if, you know, if for a few minutes the the patentee's representative did drop off actually, only for a, a few seconds. Um but there was a comment during that sort of interim procedure while he he uh, logged back in where they indicated that if he couldn't come back in they would have to reschedule, which would indicate, you know, which would require the a new summons to be issued, etc. And that sort of made me panic a bit that actually, you know, you could get halfway through a procedure, spend, you know, most of the day on it, but the decision hasn't been issued, somebody drops off, and then you have to sort of go through it all again, perhaps, um, which obviously wouldn't be beneficial for anybody involved. You would hope that they'd be able to pick up where they'd left off, but again, it's difficult to 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 say really. But luckily in my case, you know, the uh representative joined again and, and it was fine and we got to a conclusion what one thing that has been that has stuck with me actually and, I, and I'm, I'm i'm very conscious of this is you know in in this particular hearing we received the outcome that we were hoping for that the patent was revoked and therefore you know in, in that respect you sort of think or you're minded to think that the procedure therefore is fine it's good it works well because i got the, the outcome that i wanted I am very mindful of the fact that had I not received the outcome that I wanted, had the patent been maintained in, a, in a one form or another, would I be asking myself the questions of, you know, if I'd been there, would it have been different, for example? I, I don't think it would, actually, but that's always going to be a, a, a nag. You know, do, does the, the, the representative for the patentee, does, is, he, is he thinking, well, if we'd been in person, I might have got a better or a different result? Uh, again, I, I don't think that that is the case. And before the opposition division announced their formal decision, they did ask everybody if, if they'd had the opportunity to be heard and if everyone was happy with the procedure and if they had anything else to say. So there was that, that final opportunity. But I just wonder if you'd have that nagging doubt if you'd been on the sort of the losing side, if you like. I guess, I, you know, something to bear in mind. But from my experience, I felt like it was a fair representation of a hearing in person some pros, some cons, some procedural aspects that were slightly different, but overall probably better for the client, better for us, and you know, a reasonable alternative to an in-person procedure, certainly at the moment when travel is, is heavily restricted and possibly in the future you could see things moving more in, the, in this direction. Yeah, I think it gives a little bit more certainty to those dates, doesn't it, for the oral proceedings with the potential in the future for really quite disruptive localised lockdowns or you might be looking on a, a Monday that you're okay to go to, to Munich on the Friday and then all of a sudden on Wednesday you're not and that would be very disruptive for in-person ones if it's all been set up to do it by VC. There's a lot more flexibility in maintaining the dates, isn't there? Potentially even if there's um, minor problems that 
prevent i mean we've we've had in the past oral proceedings have had to be rescheduled due to ill health of the the attorney and um, of course if that ill health prevents them from flying but doesn't prevent them from coming into the office or working from home then then you may be able to maintain the, the normal dates so I, I think there's a lot more flexibility and certainly with all the uncertainty i'm very keen i mean we've done it so long for examination oral proceedings and it's as you say it's there are some trade-offs but there's a lot of positives and i i think hopefully you know that some of the the negatives will be ironed out in these pilot proceedings and, and it, it will all improve and, and and it can be embraced by the, the profession generally to give more access to the clients. Going back to your point about reading the room, I thought that was an interesting one and I just wanted to pick up on that a little bit more because I've been at hearings in person where you think you're reading the room and actually then or reading the examining team is probably more important than reading reading the other side. And, and then the examining the opposition division have completely thrown a curveball in and you thought you thought you were about to win on a particular point and they've been very supportive and and attentive to your arguments and then come back and found completely the opposite to what you were anticipating from their body language but the other thing that with all these video conferences that we're having is of course we can see ourselves and was that the case with the oral proceedings you could see yourself because I wonder whether that's what made it harder to read the room because if you can see yourself maybe you can conceal your own reactions and perhaps that just adds a, another level of sophistication to the, the whole process. Wow, yeah, I suppose that's true. I could, as with lots of, you know, video calls that we're all having at the moment, you, you, your own picture is in the in the bottom corner. And if, if everyone in the procedure was having the same setup and they could all see themselves, they're just a bit more conscious of their own, yeah, sort of reactions and their own visible cues. I hadn't thought of that, but you might be absolutely right. I mean, I think we all, it's well recognised, it's more difficult, isn't it, to, to pick up cues from people when you when you're on the video rather than than in person but um I, I've certainly found when doing the examination or proceedings that it, it's been fine but of course that's only two parties rather than inter-parties proceedings so um so maybe it's easier to read the room if you like with the examiners uh, were there any other technical issues that you thought could be improved or things to think about for the future not really I think you know when if you'd have told me sort of three or four months ago they're going to be done by video conference I would have been very nervous I think well I, obviously we're n nervous anyway because you know hearings kind of bring that out in everyone you, you prepare and it's, it's quite a, a nervous experience but I think I would have been very nervous about the technology but of course we've all spent the last three months or so having video calls a few times a day therefore the individual uh, everyone on that call or on, on that hearing had 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 that experience and less likely therefore to to sort of struggle with the technology i think you know there were some teething problems with everyone getting in at the beginning but i think that's just again that happens on most video calls so i don't think there was any real difference there I think maybe there's a there's an opportunity uh, if you know when we're in the office that we tend to use the much bigger screen so we can see people more clearly that's probably a benefit whereas on my sort of screen it, it was quite small but apart from that I think it was as expected given the amount of video calls that we're all sort of participating in at the moment I think those of us who've been doing them routinely for years so uh, absolutely fine with it and those it's a, I, I find it quite surprising you know you can see on the some blogs and the chats and how few attorneys seem to have used video conference oral proceedings for examination procedure for me it's it's a massively improved process 
for all the benefits we talked about, you know, the working from your own office, it's it's not an inter-parties process. So you're not trying to gauge someone else's reaction, just the examiners. And 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 sometimes you're seeing the same examiners if, you know, they're examining a whole family of cases. So you can actually build up quite a rapport from these online meetings. And there is, this, I, I don't know whether, I mean, I'm guessing with your opposition, it was a bit more formal, but um, the examination or proceedings can be a little bit, you know, there's a bit of chat at the end normally, not so much at the beginning because obviously it starts with a really formal reading of the script that they do these days. But at the end, you know, you, you can end up having, particularly in the, these current times, I think everyone is a, just a little bit more willing to to show a, a more personal side and that can certainly help with future hearings. It knocks the edge off that nerves, both for the what's interesting for the examiners as well as for us, because they, you know, they can get nervous going into these proceedings particularly if there's a lot of money at stake in some of these high profile opposition cases as they can be. That's fantastic. Um, Julian, Bobby, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, no, thank you. Lovely to speak to you too, Charlie. Thanks for listening to the Green Shoots podcast by Appleyard Lees. If you have a question or issue you'd like our IP specialist to discuss on the podcast, then tweet us at Appleyard Lees or email us at ip at appleyardlees.com.